Good morning, everybody, and, and welcome. Welcome also to our, our online audience, which is out there in the cloud someplace paying attention. Um, it's a, a pleasure to be able to do this. It's a, uh, it's a great honor for me, actually, to introduce one of my oldest friends and colleagues, uh, and sometimes adversary, <laughs> and sometimes colleague uh, from uh, uh, both days on the Hill and days in the government and days uh, in uh, when I was running a trade association and Alan was the chairman of my board. So it's nice to have him back with us, and it's, as I discovered talking to him, he hasn't been back for a while, um, and so it's, uh, we're glad to have you back, and uh, glad to have him an opportunity to come and speak to us about a topic which is becoming much more in the news lately and is going to be even more in the news, at least between now and December 10th, uh, which is the date, uh, barring other developments, that the appellate body is going to uh, become non-functional. And so I think we're at a, at a moment where uh, you know, the WTO has become uh, much more present in people's consciousness, and it's become much more of an issue. I think the, uh, uh, the topic of the event, or the title of our event is, it's, you know, the training system is not dying, and Alan's going to tell you about that. But I think you can probably say uh, more accurately, it's certainly under stress. And one of the things we want to do this morning is explore a little bit about what that stress is, what the causes of the stress are, and what some possible avenues uh, for a solution might be. And of course, uh, being in America and being Americans, the inevitable, uh, the topic inevitably turns to us, uh, and which means the question is, is the United States uh, part of the problem or is it part of the solution? And you can get uh, different views on that too. Uh, and I think that's one of the things we'll be exploring within the limits of, of Alan's diplomatic limitations because he always has to be as an international civil servant uh, uh, neutral and not finger pointing about these things. But I can point a finger or two. So uh, what we're going to do is uh, have some remarks from Ambassador Wolf and then uh, he and I will have a conversation and then we'll have uh, time for questions from, from you all. Uh, so. Currently, Alan is the uh, Deputy, De Deputy Director General. Uh, this is a four-year term, uh, which began in 2017, so he'll go through uh, 2021. Uh, he, before the, immediately before that, was uh, Senior Counsel at the global law firm Denton's, which, has a, uh, which is one of the largest, world's largest international trade firms. Uh, at the same time, uh, it was my great pleasure to have him as my chairman of the board of the National Foreign Trade Council, of which I was the president, uh, and he did that um, for, um, for six years, which was probably a violation of the bylaws, but Vanessa, just don't tell anybody about that. Well, uh, and he, and I think, did a lot to increase the organization's presence and, and stature in, in Washington. And, I, for one, was very grateful to him for his willingness to do it and his willingness to uh, get into the details of what the organization did so enthusiastically. Not every board chairman uh, has, has done that. Um, he also, as many of you know who've been in this town for a while, uh, had a relatively long career uh, in uh, government service, culminating as uh, the Deputy Special Representative for Trade Negotiations in the Carter Administration. Uh, previous to that, he was general counsel of the same office in the Ford administration. 
Uh, he was the acting head of our delegation in the Tokyo round and was the principal draftsman of the basic U.S. law that created a mandate for trade negotiations. He was a founder of the OECD, OECD Steel Committee, which lives on, uh, perhaps in infamy, infamy, perhaps not. Maybe Alan's going to comment about that. Uh, and he was its first chairman. Um, he was served as a senior trade negotiator in or advisor to both Republican and Democratic uh, administrations. So he has a long history of service to his country uh, and a long service, uh, a long history of actually service to uh, uh, to our economy and trying to uh, improve uh, the lot of, uh, of his clients in the global trading system. Two of the most uh, significant, in my judgment, have been the steel industry, which he represented for many years, uh, and also the semiconductor industry, uh, where I think uh, Alan, in my judgment, was really the, the genius behind a, uh, a whole of government strategy to try to save the industry from a lot of problems it was running into with Japan in the 1980s. And it ended up being a remarkably successful strategy, as you can see from the status of the industry today. Uh, but it was no, in no small part due to uh, Alan's imagination and Alan's efforts. And I, I think uh, he doesn't put it in his resume, but he should be remembered, I think, for. Uh, for approaching a problem creatively and figuring out a set of solutions and then embarking on a very clever strategy to get those solutions actually implemented um, as policy. So uh, with that, I will turn you over uh, to Alan, and I'm looking forward to his remarks. Thank you very much, Bill. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here at the CSIS and uh, particularly to be uh, again affiliated with uh, Bill Reinch. Uh, we go back a long time uh, when I was held hostage uh, by uh, his senator uh, at one point uh, for a crucial evening when we were trying to get a uh, countervailing duty waiver through the uh, Congress. <laughs> but uh, uh, and we didn't get it. Uh, his uh, his uh, I was trying to figure out what John Hines wanted, and what he wanted was to keep me in place for six hours, uh, so that I couldn't push uh, the legislation through for the administration. Uh, what I want to emphasize this morning is the word strategic in Center for Strategic and International Studies. Um, there was a vision in all of this where the WTO came from uh, when uh, Roosevelt and Churchill met at Argentia Bay on August 14, 1941, and one of their points for what would happen after the war was equal opportunity for trade and equal opportunity to access supplies. Uh, so uh, equal treatment, an end to discrimination, was extraordinarily important, and uh, GATT's been around, uh, uh, succeeded by the WTO, but the system's been around for 72 years, um, and uh, the question is, is it fatally wounded? Uh, is there irreparable damage? Is it irretrievably harmed? Um, I don't think so for a moment. I think that actually it'll persist. That's what my remarks are about today. What went wrong? Uh, what is right, 
uh, what's the prognosis for the WTO. Uh, there's a banner headline uh, in the top of uh, the cover of the current foreign affairs magazine that says how a global trading system dies. And there are certainly uh, reasons for concern, but uh, it's not near death. Uh, the level of activity has not been higher uh, since perhaps 2008, maybe in the history of the WTO. Uh, negotiations are proceeding very actively on electronic commerce, on domestic regulation of services, on uh, facilitation of investment in uh, the format is joint initiatives, plurilaterals, open to all, and uh, not everyone wants them, uh, not all members want them, uh, but uh, members uh, which uh, account for three quarters of world GDP certainly want them, and uh, they're moving forward. There's also the work in the regular committees. Uh, the, the press, for good reason, uh, concentrate on, concentrates on tariffs but actually a standard uh, halts trade entirely. You don't meet the standard, you, the goods don't move. You uh, have a tariff, and unless it's pr at prohibitive levels, it will uh, move. Uh, the work of the WTO to assist the, the poorest countries is uh, proceeding. I chair the uh, consultative forum on uh, uh, development for uh, cotton. Uh, it is a mainstay for particularly four West African countries, uh, Mali, Chad, Burkina Faso, and Benin. They have a per capita GDP of $2,000 a year. Uh, cotton is essential to them, and the rest of the world is responsive. All are responsive. Uh, the EU, the US, uh, Brazil, uh, India, Pakistan, there's, n there's no dissent in working to help uh, countries that are the poor, among the poorest to uh, do a better job. This similar outreach with respect to standards for uh, phyto and, and sanita phytosanitary and sanitary standards for agricultural products. Um, and uh, there's a strong imperative now to make the world trading system uh, provide greater benefits for women and for small businesses. Uh, and there's work going on with respect to fishery subsidies. This fishery subsidies are a south-south issue. The reason there's, Somali there's a piracy off Somalia is that factory ships came along, heavily subsidized, uh, scooped up the fish. The fishermen turned to fishing for tankers and freighters instead of fish because the fish were gone. Um, so it matters. Uh, strategically, it matters to the world. Um, so. Uh, the G20, G7, in recent meetings, called for reform of the WTO, uh, and uh, it's become a high priority for a number of countries. It's no longer a question of, of whether to have reform of the WTO. It's, the question is how to make needed improvements. Uh, there's an emerging consensus with respect to dispute settlement, which we'll no doubt get into, and I will get into a little further in these remarks. Um, uh, there are uh, uh, the faith in the system uh, is demonstrated by uh, 22 countries seeking to enter the WTO. Many of them conflict affected, uh, fragile economies. Um, they are um, uh, a vote of confidence 
in integration into the world economy on the basis of uh, the WTO. Um, so despite all that intense activity, the narrative in the public is quite negative with respect to the WTO. Is it failing? Uh, it cannot stop trade wars. Uh, dispute settlement system uh, and December 10th uh, loses the appellate body with respect to, unless uh, a solution is reached before then, which uh, does not seem to be in the offing. Um, so no, no ability to appeal, uh, no ability to reach major new agreements. Doha development agenda uh, failed in 2008. There's nothing to replace it. There have been some agreements, but nothing broad and as substantial as uh, a, a, the Uruguay round, certainly. Uh, members disregard their obligations more casually. Uh, and even one major country uh, questions whether it will stay in the WTO uh, in, uh, that you're aware of. Um, the article of faith that there was a strategic and global economic importance of having a multilateral trading system uh, seemed to fade. Uh, it's now being rediscovered. Uh, so why did it seem so irrelevant? Uh, part of it is unreasonable expectations. No treaty ever stopped two countries going to war. Uh, there were three treaties at least after World War I and we had World War II. Uh, if countries want to go to war, they go to war. A piece of paper does not matter. And that's true of the WTO, too. It doesn't stop wars. Um, the business community became complacent. We'll work, could work around. The tariffs got lower. Could work around uh, various obstacles. Uh, didn't need uh, to uh, press to have something happen in Geneva. Uh, business was dealing with the world as it found it. Uh, governments found it easier to have bilateral and regional agreements. Uh, so the WTO was taken for granted. Uh, well, the quieter times are over. Uh, it, uh, the fact of the matter is that all bilateral and regional agreements rest on the WTO. It's the foundation for every bilateral agreement, every plurilateral, multilateral, uh, not multilateral, but regional agreement. Um, and uh, most of world trade still moves actually under WTO rules. Uh, what will happen next? Uh, some say, ah, the world will move in the direction of two trading blocks. Uh, I don't see that as feasible. Uh, there are other economic power centers be beside the two dominant trading uh, entities, uh, uh, countries. Uh, there's the European Union. I uh, don't see it joining a trading block. Uh, India, others. Um, for developing countries, I don't think they're aspiring to a new form of colonialism. Uh, so uh, actually, uh, I don't see the world dividing into trading blocks. Um, why will the system endure, the multilateral trading system? The costs of being outside are too high. Even if you have a missile defense system, it won't be 100 percent uh, 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 a protection against uh, trade measures, just as uh, Saudi Arabia found that whatever defenses it had was, insuffi was insufficient to uh, uh, stop a, an attack on uh, oil pipeline. Uh, you, no country can afford to be outside of the system, period. 
that includes the largest trading countries. Um, the uh, level of security would be far too low. Um, even if you could strike back, you can't strike back against everything that happens. Uh, second, the economic harm to the country would be unsustainable and to the world economy. Uh, if you look at Brexit, uh, part of the argument is what happens to uh, the British economy going forward. The UK Treasury said, uh, estimated a loss of uh, GDP by the year 2035 uh, of 8%. Uh, and uh, there are other estimates, but it's, a, it's quite a hit. If you extrapolate that to the world, not being in a single market, which no country seeks, a global single market, but not being in a single market is uh, a $90 trillion hit. Uh, so there's a, there's a room for actually making improvements in the system between what the WTO provides now and uh, what it could provide. Uh, that said, if there were no WTO, uh, there'd be a much bigger hit than that. We'd be back in the Depression. Um, the uh, chances are the members of the WTO are on the verge of improving the system. What the British would say is the chances are not negligible, uh, which a, a phrase I enjoy. Um, uh, so what are the real problems? The pr one problem is consensus. The, there are two forms of consensus. One is to make a rule, you need 100% of the countries agreeing, 164 countries. No one gets up and says, stop. We won't, don't adopt that agenda. Don't move forward. Uh, so consensus is a constraint on rulemaking. On the other extreme, if there's a dispute settlement outcome that is considered to be erroneous by a number of members, there is uh, a negative consensus, meaning 100% have to say, oh, we disagree with that outcome. That never happens. That's a null set because uh, the winner is going to say, oh, well, wait a minute, uh, we want it to go forward. So you never get ever the members to say that dispute settlement uh, outcome the panel outcome, the appellate body outcome, uh, is not to go forward. That is uh, too rigid. So what's happened on the negotiating side is the plurilaterals came along, the committee work goes along, uh, and all are welcome to join, but it's not a requirement of 100% consensus. Um, the, the, put in another way, there is no legislature. This was foreseeable. Someone dug up my testimony before the Senate Finance Committee in 1995 when I had forgotten this. I had to relearn it. Uh, I said, ah, if there's no legislative function, then actually you have a real problem with binding dispute settlement. Uh, how do you change an outcome when uh, there's a feeling that the outcome was incorrect? In the United States, we do have a Congress. Uh, we didn't always want it to be active, but uh, it can correct judicial outcomes. Uh, in the WTO, that's not been the case. Uh, second point, uh, the, after the problem of consensus, is saving the WTO dispute settlement system. Uh, a distinguishing feature of the system 
compared with any other international agreement is that it's enforceable. Uh, and uh, a functioning appellate system is needed, in my view, to correct egregious errors and to provide some level of consistency. And there is, I think, no disagreement in the WTO among the membership with respect to that. Um, the U.S., as you know, has blocked appointments. There are three members left. You need three to make a decision in the appellate body. Uh, and as of December 10th, two fall away and become former members. They will continue to serve under their own rules uh, if they're uh, uh, under uh, rules which allow, in their own view, their ability to make decisions on cases that they were already sitting on. And they have about a year's worth of business to do. Uh, so it, there's no immediate effect if that, if that system persists uh, uh, after December 10th with respect to existing cases. Now, new appeals can't be filed because there is no appellate body uh, that can, there's no three members who are uh, sitting. Um, the U.S. feels that the appellate body has overreached. The uh, EU, uh, among others, feels that uh, there's a court, uh, it makes decisions, so uh, one ought to live with them. And there's an impasse uh, at present. But Ambassador David Walker of New Zealand, a very talented fellow who uh, was their chief TPP negotiator, uh, is building a consensus and gave a report last week that indicated a growing area of consensus about uh, how, to, how to improve the system um, in ways that uh, is gaining broad support. Um, so what happens after December 10th? Uh, if you appeal and there is no appeal, the panel report, it might be said, is not final, so uh, it can't be adopted. That's one interpretation. Uh, and uh, a winning country says to the losing country, bring your measure into conformity now. And the losing country says, uh, no, we're appealing. And the winning country says, uh, well, we're going to retaliate. And the losing country says, we're going to counter-retaliate. And uh, we've seen a little bit of that uh, between the U.S. and China, more than a little bit, between the U.S. and China with respect to uh, trade relations. So Armageddon, that's one possibility. The other possibility is pragmatism. Uh, countries do tend to get pragmatic. Uh, one is uh, India and Indonesia, uh, not India, but uh, Vietnam and Indonesia said, we agree if there's no appellate body, the panel report will be final. Others could do the same with respect to uh, an ad hoc arrangement. If, if, we, uh, if there's uh, 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 no possibility of appeal, then we'll pick three, three individuals or name them in advance if you want. We'll have arbitration. That'll be the appeal. Or another option is the EU-Canada arrangement where we'll try to replicate the existing system to the extent possible using past appellate body members, using the appellate body secretariat. Life will be the same, it's just those who don't opt in won't be part of that. Um, uh, can the impasse be solved? Uh, of course it can. Uh, uh, it, uh, it requires a degree of understanding on a number of uh, the parts of uh, uh, the major players. Um, 
they have to understand uh, really what the nature of their system is and uh, uh, how to repair it, and I believe they'll be able to do that. Uh, they're not there yet, uh, but uh, it, it can happen, and I think will happen. Um, members are still filing cases, including the United States still filing cases. So there is a belief that there's going to be dispute settlement that is binding, that continues. The U.S. position is we want to go back to what we negotiated in 1995. Uh, it is very much like in our Supreme Court uh, uh, philosophy. Uh, those who want to look back at what was intended, the originalists, and those who say, well, wait a minute, life moves on, uh, right of privacy means something different than it did to the founding fathers. Uh, and uh, so there's a, there's a clash. This clash existed in the French system and still does, uh, for example. Uh, the French Revolution was fought largely over the power of judges because there was no offsetting power of the legislature. Um, and that's sort of fascinating, is the question of uh, uh, go governance uh, of judges or judges of government who uh, are part of the government. And uh, we're working our way through that, we being the member. The members are working their way through that. Is precedent binding? The emerging consensus is not entirely. Uh, so there are, there are ways of dealing with this. Uh, reviving the WTO negotiating function, I already really addressed that the ways are being found to move forward. Um, does the WTO have answers to current challenges? Uh, can't prevent a trade war, but it can be part of the solution, either in bringing uh, a consensus around certain subjects, which uh, the US, Japan, and uh, the EU have said that they were going to table a number of proposals. The first one out was on transparency, on meeting obligations to notify. Uh, or it could be the U.S. and China reach a solution, and that's embodied in the WTO rules as, be, as being generally applicable. After all, why should the two of them agree to, say, a rule on industrial subsidies? Well, the four of them, uh, U.S., Japan, China, and uh, the EU, and that not have some broader applicability. So the, the WTO can be part of getting to the solution or can reflect the solution. Um, there is general consensus that there's too much policy space. Policy space means absence of obligation. And uh, the developing countries say, for example, the US and the EU have too much policy space to subsidize agriculture. So they should limit their policy space with respect to subsidies they're not using, even the U U.S. at this point is not using fully its policy space. Uh, but uh, do others have too much policy space? Is there a difference between bound tariffs and applied tariffs? There's lots of policy space out there to be uh, subject of negotiation. Bottom line, uh, in conclusion, uh, I'm fundamentally optimistic about the future of the multilateral trading system. Uh, part of this is because pessimism accomplishes nothing. Uh, so running around saying uh, the sky is falling and not having some ideas as to shoring it up doesn't help much. Um, it's also out of realism that the countries will, uh, member countries, will realize their interest. They all say they want the multilateral trading system. Uh, now we need deeds to follow up on words. 
Also, my optimism comes from daily experience with the Secretariat. A group of very talented people, not a lot of them. Uh, there are uh, some 700 in the uh, Secretariat. They're very knowledgeable professionals. Uh, a question, if we ever got to reform in terms, uh, which we're not doing now, of WTO 2.0, no one is talking about WTO 2.0 uh, at this point uh, within, the, within the organization, within the membership. Uh, but eventually, that will happen. There will be a focus on that. Adaptation is uh, not avoidable uh, due to rapid technological change. That's why we have e-commerce uh, discussions that are turning into negotiations. Uh, shifting in terms of the necessities of climate. Agriculture is going to have to move more freely across borders to meet with uh, natural disasters, to meet with uh, differences in climate from what we've experienced in the past. Um, fostering economic integration is imperative. Um, lastly, uh, one of the responsibilities I have is to oversee the accessions division, and that's a reason for optimism. These countries are, uh, in many cases, conflict-affected. Uh, so uh, Timor-Leste, uh, East Timor, uh, Sudan, South Sudan, Somalia, uh, Ethiopia, uh, Bosnia-Herzegovina, uh, the countries in the queue and those who recently joined 2015, namely uh, uh, Liberia and uh, Afghanistan, uh, Sudan, South Sudan, uh, they know about uh, the same sort of experience that caused the system to be created in the first place. We went through uh, uh, the world went through a world war and it was decided we can do better. Uh, we can have a world trading system. We can integrate into that system. Uh, so the president of East Timor came, spoke to us uh, this last year and uh, he spoke in halting English. He said, I, I'm sorry I learned my English in seven years in prison. Uh, and uh, he said, where there's trade, there's peace. And the ambassadors of Sudan and South Sudan sitting next to each other on a panel said the same thing, really, where there's trade, there's peace. And there's a pretty tight correlation uh, between the two. It doesn't guarantee peace, but it uh, is a foundation for peace. What do you say to widespread populist pressures? Uh, the WTO is about fairness. It means your goods will not be discriminated against. You work in a factory, you make something that's very good, your company will be able to trade it across borders. You are a farmer and uh, you are efficient and productive. You'll be able to trade across borders. You'll have an equal opportunity. You are a um, uh, uh, son or daughter, develops an app. They'll be able to sell that any place in the world. Um, are we about convergence in the WTO or coexistence? I don't believe coexistence is possible in the system. It is a matter of convergence. Uh, and uh, to get uh, all members up to a high standard uh, as envisaged by the founders. Uh, it'd be foolhardy to say that we've reached uh, uh, the low point in the multilateral trading system. Uh, it could get worse. There's a, that's not negligible. Uh, possibility of it getting worse. Uh, there'll be maybe difficult times ahead, 
But uh, I would say ultimately the WTO, the multilateral trading system, will uh, survive and be improved. Thank you very much. Left. Either one. Well, thank you very Thank you very much for those remarks. You really gave a, a, a tour of the whole landscape, which is welcome. It preempts a lot of my questions, but there are a few left. Uh, and I, I wanted to get into some of the weeds, uh, some you mentioned and then some you didn't mention. But let me begin with uh, sort of the bigger picture. And you mentioned uh, the word populism. Uh, can you say a few words about um, how did we end up where we are? What, have, what have, in a, not in, this, in a micro sense of you know, arguing about dispute settlement, but what's going on globally in trade that is causing uh, uh, countries to be uh, more disputatious about this? Um, I, I've written about uh, this and suggested in the past that uh, as far as the, the system, if you will, is concerned, that uh, I think we see developed countries, the people that created the system at Bretton Woods, uh, kind of running out of gas in their willingness and or political will to defend it and in their judgment pay for it and have growing frustration with emerging economies that uh, who have not in their judgment stepped up to accept a greater share of responsibility uh, and I think you've got the other, those emerging economies that haven't stepped up uh, and haven't accepted a greater share of responsibility, uh, suggesting that it's not really their role to do that. Um, how did we get here? Uh, first of all, I'd say um, that I'm a, a fan of uh, Bill Reinch's uh, writings and uh, often uh, send him a note saying, that was good, uh, sometimes that was good, but what about this? Uh, so I urge you all to uh, pay attention to that. Um, Underinvestment in the system, uh, as I said, uh, taken for granted by business. Businesses, you know, U.S. negotiators uh, were saddled in the uh, Trade Act under which uh, uh, agreements have been entered into with, uh, at the time, 45 advisory committees, which I thought would strangle uh, a very small trade representative's office, and uh, you don't know what to negotiate actually without the advice of uh, those in the private sector, in agriculture, and in uh, uh, in uh, business uh, and labor. Uh, and uh, so, underinvestment by business, underinvestment by governments. Uh, it's easier, it was seen, to have uh, bilateral agreements. Uh, the U.S. moved in that direction. The EU is a champion uh, in terms of uh, 96, uh, there may be more now, negotiations that are either concluded, most of them concluded, or uh, like TTIP, uh, you know, uh, uh, still a glimmer in the eyes of uh, some. Uh, so uh, move ahead uh, bilaterally or regionally. Uh, uh, a uh, a deficit in recent years of leadership, uh, and uh, the, the U.S. has not 
stopped participating. One of the things that one should, I'm a U.S. watcher, uh, having uh, lived in this system for a long time. The U.S. is active across the board in the WTO, very active, um, as, as active or more so than any other member. And uh, uh, it, uh, but it's in a different place. The Trump administration would be certainly the first to say it is in a different place. But it is not doing what it did before, saying uh, we're for multilateralism, we're the guarantor of the system, we're going to make it work. Uh, it's saying uh, specific things. Uh, if you say that you uh, will notify, then you should notify. If you say, uh, and has been joined in that, as I said, but by a number of others, uh, if uh, you, um, you should not get through uh, uh, litigation, which you couldn't have gotten through negotiation, and that not all countries can say they're developed, uh, developing and uh, uh, get better treatment up front, acknowledged before there's any negotiation on anything. Um, and that's a major issue of contention, and there's some change taking place with respect to that. And there's a t there are proposals on the table with respect to that. Um, the uh, countries became, uh, after the financial crisis, more sensitive, certainly, with respect to liberalization. They became more sensitive with respect to uh, liberalization because of a major uh, emerging country, China. Uh, and China was rather sensitive about further liberalization. So liberalization, uh, as such, slowed. Uh, but the need to make new rules has not disappeared. So. Um, uh, certainly the, the rise in uh, a feeling that trade caused problems. You can read Danny Roderick and others uh, uh, who say, uh, uh, you know, protection can be good. Uh, I would say, uh, generally speaking, no. Uh, his example was he grew up, his father was in the pen manufacturing business and uh, ballpoint pens in Turkey. and. Uh, the, uh, uh, he said protection was very good, infant industry protection. Alexander Hamilton liked it. It works. Uh, well, at what cost? Uh, if you spend more on pens for your schools, do you spend less on teachers? Do you spend less on uh, books, pencils, other things? And uh, does the pen industry become internationally competitive? You take over the global pen market, or uh, it was just uh, a mistake. Uh, so, um, uh, but the belief in liberalization for practical reasons and for emotional reasons, uh, partially because technological change was far greater cause of disruption, but uh, trade got the blame because no one's going to say, ah, I'm giving up my smartphone. Uh, no one on the face of the planet uh, is going to say uh, the system would be far, well, there are a few, but the system would be better off with no technological change. Can't stop that, and that's a major cause of disruption. We've got to learn to deal with it, and that comes through rules, which is what the e-commerce negotiations are about. Luddites do live on, but uh, let me pick up on that for a minute. Uh, I want to get to the upcoming uh, ministerial, which I think will be a significant one, but 
At the conclusion of the last one uh, in uh, Buenos Aires, Ambassador Lighthizer said, uh, MSC 11, referring to that one, will be re remembered as the moment when the impasse of the WTO was broken. Many members recognized that the WTO must pursue a fresh start in key areas so that like-minded WTO members and their constituents are not held back by the few members that are not ready to act. And I think he went on to talk about the e-commerce uh, agreement, the uh, negotiation that was launched at that time. Um, maybe you can comment on the concept there. Not uh, We'll get to e-commerce in a minute. But uh, comment on, on the concept. Are we really heading in the direction uh, I mean, we talk, people talk about plurilaterals. Are we really heading in the direction of, of essentially a two-track WTO where the countries that are willing to accept more obligations and more discipline are going to simply go ahead and do that uh, at the ex exclusion of the others, and the others are going to be on the sidelines? I think the uh, system has always been uh, multi-track in that uh, developing countries, least developed certainly, we're not expected to have the same level of obligation as the uh, the uh, uh, most advanced. Uh, and the question is, what's the end game? Where are you headed? Are you headed towards convergence where everyone will trade at a very high level of obligation because they have a developed economy? In the year 2050, I had fun with this in uh, Adelaide. The question was, what's the future hold for the WTO? And I chose uh, 2050 because it's much better than talking about 2020. Uh, the, in 2050, uh, Nigeria and India will be among the most populous countries in the world. Uh, with population growth, there are some who say demographics determines uh, strength, uh, self-confidence, ability to liberalize. I said uh, that uh, in the year 2020, uh, actually countries that have grown a lot in population will be free traders. Uh, it's happened in the United States, it happened in the UK. Uh, it's sort of a trend uh, that you end up, if you're competitive internationally, suddenly you discover the merits of open borders uh, and the world will change in that direction. But it's always been multi-speed. The trade facilitation agreement is multi-speed. Um, and uh, in other words, you, you accept a level of obligation that you can actually have the capability to discharge those obligations. Um, so uh, uh, the plurilaterals uh, uh, undoubtedly will take into account. There are some developing countries in Latin America, and Benin has joined, and Nigeria has joined the e-commerce talks, that they will have uh, no doubt, uh, a different, uh, 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 perhaps a different level of obligation, taking into account their capabilities and their infrastructure. Um, and that, that's always been part of the system. Is it becoming more pronounced? It may well. Well, the advantage of talking about 2050, I think, is uh, in all probability, you and I will both be dead at the time, and so it helps. We, <laughs> we, we can't can't be held responsible for our predictions at that point, whereas 2020, we're likely to still be around. I might say Bruce Stokes <laughs> says that if you look at polling, the young are in favor of international trade and openness of markets and FTAs, free trade agreements, and the older people, are, uh, older white males, are against. 
by majority, and he said the solution is the older white males die. Uh, and s some re response to that was, well, what happens if the young, as they grow older, sort of uh, don't like it, uh, open markets as much? And I said, well, we who have died will be very disappointed. It sounds like, uh, I think as long as it's a natural process, it's okay. <laughs> At one point, my younger son came up to me and just said, when you die, can I have your house? And I said, well, you know, as long as you're not doing anything to accelerate the process, we can, uh, we, we can, we can negotiate, and that's, that's where it stands. Um, it seems to me the United States is kind of pursuing, uh, maybe pursuing two policies simultaneously, because on the one hand, they do seem to be arguing that... Uh, the people that want to go farther should be able to go farther and, and do that via plurilaterals. At the same time, they're saying uh, the countries that are lagging behind are lagging, and some of them, not all of them, are lagging behind deliberately, and they're hiding behind the, the, the facade of development in order to avoid taking on obligations that they ought to, they ought to take on and they can easily meet. And uh, part, of their, part of our policy seems to be convergence. All those people should step up and should be made to step up by, uh, you know, d defining uh, development more tightly. But on the other hand, uh, they want to go ahead, the U.S. wants to go ahead, uh, not on its own, but with other like-minded countries and leave these other people behind. Are we really inconsistent, or is there a, can you square that circle? I mean, you don't have to, but maybe you see it differently. The uh, accessions process is interesting. Uh, of the 164, 36 came in during the WTO period. And, the, uh, and as I said, 22 are at the door, maybe 23 or 4 by now, because a couple are going to announce. Uh, they take on a higher level of obligation than the original members, uh, interestingly enough, by and large, on average. Uh, why? Because it's a negotiation. And the, and the, the, the needs of countries have changed because the trade has changed. So there will be obligations that uh, will be asked of, uh, say, with respect to state-owned enterprises uh, and other subjects of that kind. A greater level of obligation will be asked of those who are coming in, although undoubtedly there'll be uh, some uh, uh, flexibility given with respect to how they meet those obligations and when in terms of time frame but they accept a higher level obligation than the others. And they are very vocal about that, saying, well, wait a minute, us 36 who came in during the WTO period as opposed to the GATT period, we have more obligations than the rest of you. Why? Because it's a negotiation. Every member, it's consensus. Every member has to approve. So uh, those who have an interest, usually the neighbors uh, of that country, but, off, but always the EU and the US, say, uh, well, uh, we're very interested in your investment laws. Uh, we're very interested in uh, state ownership. Uh, so uh, the system is, um, is gradually reforming itself from within. And it's not, uh, it's just no notices have taken of that. But uh, inconsistencies in a country's position, that can occur from time to time. Let's look at the upcoming um, ministerial, uh, which is uh, six months later than usual in, in June, which I understand because I've, I've been to that, that part of Kazakhstan and it has, uh, they proudly claim they're the second coldest capital in the world. 
so I think that um, December will probably not have been the best time. Uh, June is a, a beautiful time, but I want to ask you about a couple specific things that will be on the table at that point, although maybe one will be uh, addressed sooner than that. But the first one is the, the moratorium on uh, taxation of electronic uh, transmission, the e-commerce moratorium, which I think technically expires in, in uh, well, Maybe you can shed some light on this. Does it expire in December, which is two years after the last time it was extended, or does it expire at the next ministerial? And in either case, uh, what's going to happen to it? Is there another extension in the offing? Uh, that's uh, subject to um, uh, what uh, any country wants to do with respect to it, as uh, because it can be blocked. Uh, it's a consensus uh, approach. Uh, we don't know what will happen in December, which was the deadline for extension. Um, it is a spur to uh, the e-commerce negotiations to uh, make sure that this is covered uh, in the e-commerce negotiations as well. So uh, don't know what will happen. The issue is uh, a number of countries have said, a number of member countries have said, we're going to lose custom revenues. Well, you used to sell DVDs in our country uh, from abroad, and we imported them, and we got 10% or whatever of the value of the DVD. Now it's streamed, and we lose $60 million of customs revenues a year, was one estimate. Uh, Globally? I think that's global. That's not very much. No, but it could be a lot to a very small country um, who cares about who, who there are countries who still, as we did originally, rely on customs revenues uh, in this country uh, for meeting their budget. So uh, uh, they say, uh, well, we ought to be able to get those tariffs. Uh, uh, it's a little bit more understandable in the case of DVDs uh, in terms of conceptually. Uh, it's less understandable with respect to uh, you're building a new port and you have a uh, $3 million construction engineering contract from outside your country and the government says, well, we ought to have 10% of that $3 million. That's a disaster. Uh, uh, and it, it strangles development to have the idea that everything that goes through the ether would be dutiable. Uh, uh, is it impossible to gather those duties? Uh, no. You could have, for example, a um, uh, legitimately under the GATT. You could have a, a value-added tax, so you tax domestics and foreigners equally. Um, uh, or uh, uh, you, um, uh, you have declarations like, within, uh, like we have in this country with internal revenue. Internal revenue is, a, is driven by uh, declarations of income. Could you have a declaration of uh, if to the port authority, did you have any foreign contracts? Uh, and uh, what was the value? And if you try to tax that, uh, development is in real trouble. What about uh, fish? Uh, fisheries, fish, illegal, unreported, unregulated fishing. This has been much in the news lately. There's, I think the parties are given themselves a deadline of bringing something to the ministerial. Is that on track, behind, ahead? Uh, there's very active work going on in um, 
uh, a variety of working groups on the various issues. There's, I think, something like half a dozen working groups uh, where there's rather intensive talks going on. It turns out to be complicated stuff. Uh, the fish don't tend to stay still. Uh, you could ask them to stay within territorial waters, but they move about. Uh, and uh, it, uh, uh, the, and there are also, uh, it's not going to be settled in the fisheries negotiations, but there are, something has to be done where there's contested jurisdiction of whose water is it really. Um, and then there's a question of capability of uh, 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 some countries uh, license foreign fishing, but up to a certain amount. And they don't have the ability to police what is, um, what is being caught. But uh, there are new proposals on the table, including one from the US, I understand. Uh, they're, they're trying to come to a conclusion. The end is not uh, yet uh, determinable. Uh, so will we have something by the end of this year? Uh, hard to do that. It's only two months away. Um, uh, by North Sultan, uh, they're working for it, they're trying. Well, ministerials tend to be action-forcing events, so I think we would look for something then. But what? Uh, those are two high-profile items. The e-commerce negotiation is another high-profile item that that uh, gets uh, you know observers comment on regularly, and where there are active negotiations underway. Um, what happens? Uh, say about the WTO if none of those are resolved uh, next June? Uh, it's an open question what uh, North Sultan delivers. Uh, uh, there is a, um, a ministerials are a mixed blessing uh, in terms of, as you say, there's an action form, uh, forcing event. That's useful. There's also an artificial deadline when things are not ripe yet. Uh, is e-commerce completely done, uh, or is there more work to be done? Uh, that, uh, you know, remains to be seen. Uh, but uh, there's uh, a lot of very good work going in, and uh, <coughs> under the leadership of Australia uh, and Japan and uh, um, Singapore and the active participation of others. Um, but there are, there are still hard issues. Uh, privacy is uh, obviously a hard issue. Free flow of data is a hard issue, uh, and uh, the the process is moving forward uh, rapidly and in a very good spirit. Uh, members, including developing country members, are saying, "Well, let's cover the following uh, different sectors." Um, uh, I think the e-commerce negotiations are going to be successful. Uh, what are, what's the exact date of that? Uh, we have to get closer to North Sultan to, to know that. The, uh, even with the Chinese, you think they're going to be successful? I th the the uh, only CEO at last year's public forum was Jack Ma. Uh, there's a strong... Um, a strong interest on the part of uh, China, uh, declared interest in uh, e-commerce, uh, not congruence uh, of any party with another, any member with another member's position. That doesn't exist yet. 
but uh, there is a strong interest. The new head of the uh, Food and Agriculture Organization, the FAO, is a Chinese vice minister who is very intent on digitalization of agriculture. Uh, there is, uh, the dimensions of e-commerce are so phenomenal, the possibilities are so great. In Kenya, there is a um, crop insurance against drought and a nominal amount, nominal for us, not so nominal necessarily for all the farmers. There is, um, uh, they apply for this insurance. They don't have to file a claim because satellite technology indicates where there's a drought and there's a payout automatically. Uh, it's all, it's all e-commerce and that's all domestic. Can that system be exported to other countries? Of course it can. Uh, there's, similarly in agriculture, there's a, an NGO in London that tells the farmers in East Africa when to, through their cell phones, when to put lime on their crops. Uh, E-commerce e is throughout, um, you know, throughout our economy and the world economy. So will there be a um, successful outcome? And is China motivated uh, to uh, have a success? Uh, they're a major proponent of uh, e-commerce negotiations. Will there be some tough issues? You know, absolutely. On, on uh, turning to dispute settlement, you, you went into that in some detail, so I don't want to go over that, but you said one thing that surprised me a little bit, if I heard correctly, and you said that there was, you thought there was an emerging consensus on dispute settlement. Um, I don't see that. Can you elaborate a little bit? Uh, the uh, a fair amount of the underbrush uh, has been cleared away. Uh, does 90 days to give a uh, report, which is in the dispute settlement understanding, that's the limit for the appellate body to render a decision within 90 days. Uh, does that 90 days actually mean 90 days? Uh, there is a consensus as reported by David Walker, who's the facilitator for this process. Yes, there is. Is there a consensus with respect to the binding nature of precedent? There's an emerging consensus on that, is, which is a big deal. Is there a consensus with respect to uh, should members of the appellate body be able to serve after their term has expired on cases that they heard already, uh, they sat on, and there's an emerging consensus on, on uh, that subject. So there, the, the consensus keeps growing. Is it to the end of the process? No, it isn't. Uh, there is, uh, as I guess Inside U.S. Trade reported, uh, there are different philosophies as to what this is all about. Uh, uh, the dispute settlement system, the appellate process, whether it's really a court uh, uh, or uh, the U.S. view is this is a contract, you're interpreting a contract, you can't add or subtract to the rights and obligations. Uh, is there a meeting of the minds that is possible? I think so. Uh, but we're not there yet. So, and that's a big issue. I want to get to the audience, but let me turn to uh, what is always in the elephant in the room uh, these days, including immediately upstairs where there's another meeting on the subject, uh, which is China. And one of the comments that uh, Ambassador Lighthizer has made in the past uh, about China, and this doesn't really look, get into you know the nuances of what the U.S. is trying to do, but what he's basically argued is that China is 
Uh, it doesn't fit the system. It's too big and too complicated. The rules, meaning the WTO rules and the institution, were not designed, were not designed to deal with it and are not capable of dealing with it. Uh, the implication is that we need to think outside the box. Um, in discussions with uh, EU officials, they are clearly of a different mind, uh, and they see the same problems but want to uh, work within the box and within WTO uh, litigation structure to address the problems. Do you think the WTO is capable of addressing the the uh, uh, the, the problems that both that actually both those parties have diagnosed? I think that uh, the uh, there is a possibility of using the WTO to move the, uh, the parties most interested towards a uh, solution. Uh, if that doesn't happen, then they reach a solution outside of the WTO. Uh, as I indicated, I think it can be brought inside the WTO as a general rule if it has general applicability. Uh, the, the, um, uh, there needs to be uh, a, um, a solution that allows uh, world trade to uh, increase rather than decrease. Uh, and um, do I think there's a solution out there? I think it'll come in increments. Uh, that comes from uh, my experience uh, as uh, you've had as well with uh, Japan, that uh, uh, there was never a single solution. There was a solution over time. Ultimately, Japan did what it felt was in its interest. Ultimately, China will do what's in its interest. I think China has a fundamental interest, as do all members of the WTO, in having a working multilateral trading system. Uh, so uh, the WTO uh, ultimately, in one way or another, will play a role. Uh, does it have uh, the solutions in hand um, at present? Uh, I don't think so. Uh, otherwise, we wouldn't have the, uh, the tariffs uh, across the Pacific that exist today. Okay. Good food for thought. Questions from uh, the audience? Right here in the front row. Wait for the microphone, and uh, there's two rules. Tell us who you are and ask a question. Good morning, Andrea Shalal with Reuters. Um, I wanted to press you a little bit on the fisheries issue, but I also wanted to ask you a question about the accession discussions. Um, so on the fisheries issue, uh, there was even like not consensus on appointing a person to lead the committee that is supposed to be looking at this. Um, has that been resolved? And um, how do you envision that process sort of moving forward um, very specifically? Um, then on the question of the accession, you mentioned Somalia. There's a movement afoot to forgive Somalia's um, quite considerable debt to the international community. There's some movement to build ports and corridors to encourage trade. Do you see trade as being a, a kind of a positive factor for the Horn of Africa region? And then finally, just one quick question. You said it could get worse. What could possibly happen that could be worse? <laughs> oh, uh, in, in the fisheries negotiations, uh, uh, there's, to my knowledge, no consensus on who should chair, but that that could come into place at any time, and it's not stopping 
the working groups for meeting, and there is an acting chair at this point, uh, Deputy Director General Carl uh, uh, Browner. Um, so uh, uh, my hope is that the, the chair issue will be resolved before too long. Uh, it is a, uh, it is the problem of consensus. Uh, the Continental Congress didn't want to pay for uh, Washington soldiers, uh, uh, so uh, we're sort of historically there are analogies of trying to operate anything by consensus, uh, and they didn't have one. Uh, with respect to uh, Africa, uh, yeah. That's what, that is, the intent actually was to finish by the end of the year, uh, whether it moves uh, uh, hard to have everything come together in, in two months. So I don't know how that works out. Uh, there'll certainly be a lot of work if it doesn't come together in December to have it come together by the North Sultan. There are a lot of complex issues involved. By the way, the U.S. is not a protagonist uh, in, in all of this. It wants to have a solution to fish. It's all for it, but it doesn't have a huge economic stake in this one. It's a south-south issue. Um, uh, Africa, uh, the African Continental Free Trade Agreement holds some promise because intra-African trade, continental trade, is much lower than any other place in the world in terms of regional trade. And uh, helping at, to the extent it's welcome, uh, the, that uh, African free trade agreement, continental free trade agreement to work uh, should be a major objective of the WTO members. Uh, and I'm sure there'll be a lot of technical assistance, and there is already, uh, because it's a, largely a framework agreement. and. Uh, has to be filled in. Uh, so uh, bringing Africa along is absolutely essential, and I, I would hope that happens. Uh, and as the, most of the countries that are outside of the WTO, although uh, the other place is Eurasia, uh, uh, Uzbekistan, and uh, uh, a number of others in the region, Belarus, uh, are not uh, members, but the the largest number of members that are not in are in Africa, uh, and, uh, but they're expressing a strong interest. So uh, Somalia, uh, one, they operate under difficult circumstances. One of the chief uh, persons responsible in the government was killed in a bomb attack in the capital. Uh, uh, the uh, Sudan, as I said, Sudan, South Sudan, uh, Ethiopia, uh, Somalia, uh, there's a, a lot of interest in the others who are not in coming in. It, it takes an average of uh, 16 years to join the WTO. That is because regimes change, interest wanes. Uh, it's really because there are long pauses. So Algeria has been in the, in the queue for 30 years. Um, uh, but uh, 
there is strong renewed interest in uh, not only in Africa but elsewhere, Iraq. Uh, these are countries not free from enormous difficulties and they, they want to work on this. Bahamas is in the queue, uh, thought they could probably get uh, in by Nur Sultan, hit by a major storm and I suspect that they they may well be preoccupied with uh, just rebuilding. So uh, uh, they may not come in immediately. But uh, Africa has to be a priority. Okay. Let's go third row back here. You, yes. Wait for uh, Ed Bristois from the American Chemistry Council. Great to see you as always. Um, I want to go back to the elephant in the room. Uh, we talk a lot about uh, China versus the United States or you know, de the developed world. I think a more interesting question would be, uh, I just want to hear your thoughts about China's relationship with the emerging markets. Uh, because you, you said very specifically, uh, some of the problems lie in the fact that many of these big emerging markets did not accede to the WTO. They were original GATT members and they haven't opened up their markets. Um, is there still a fear of China amongst the big emerging markets like India and Brazil and Argentina? Is that one of the impediments to WTO reform? I don't see the two as being related in terms of WTO reform. Uh, the, uh, uh, the, the willingness to move forward on rules is different than the willingness to have trade liberalization. Uh, an example is, for example, agriculture. Uh, the main issues are, of course, market access, which the Cairns Group and the U.S. Uh, want, uh, and uh, uh, subsidies, level of subsidization. And what was true in the 1980, in the mid-1980s, which was the reference period for the Doha Development Agenda, is the subsidizers were the U.S. and the EU, and the subsidizers put aside the current. Uh, sort of emergency aid to farmers because of uh, problems of access to China. Uh, uh, the, the subject has moved on, the, the, the reality has changed and the sub main subsidizers are not. They're emerging markets. They're not the major developed countries. Uh, and agriculture always gets tied up in uh, uh, also, uh, uh, countries that are mainly importers and not exporters and want to have liberalization for things they have an interest in, which is uh, non-agricultural uh, goods, namely uh, manufactured goods. And so it's difficult to move forward. Uh, but that is not, uh, that's, that's uh, trade liberalization is difficult to achieve <coughs> in that for those reasons. Uh, the uh, rules are a different subject. Rules are a question of uh, capability to some degree uh, to implement rules. Uh, the opposition to greater transparency is uh, stated as too much of a burden. Uh, yes, there are obligations to notify, but that, that we don't want those expanded, some would say, because we can't do it. Uh, uh, that's not true for the major emerging countries in terms of their capabilities. They're very good. 
but it is a, it's an issue that's a valid issue uh, for uh, the least developed, certainly, in some of the developing countries. So it's market access. There's, there's no proposal on the table from, as far as I know, any member of the 164 that says, let's move forward on liberalization. Uh, uh, there is a lot of interest in moving forward on rules. Okay, Alan's got another engagement, so I don't have much time, but let's give him one more question here. You do have another engagement, don't you? Yeah. So this will be the last one, I'm afraid. Thank you. Um, good morning. Uh, um, my name is Ernesto Fernandez from the Pew Charitable Trust in Washington. We are supporting the members and the WTO negotiations of fishery subsidies. Um, you mentioned something in your intervention of the negative perception from civil society that WTO is failing. Um, and I think the, and we were trying to be in, get involved and we're trying to get others involved uh, from the civil society or as NGOs, but when we mentioned that there is no chair and that this has been, been discussing for over 20 years, uh, people get the reaction like, you know, why were we gonna get involved? Um, but, uh, so, but we still think that there is a value uh, and continue pushing and, and, and I think this works also for other areas, market access and services, uh, how we get the civil society involved. Uh, I think that's important to put pressure on, on the members on different aspects. Yeah, my, uh, my thought is that uh, we're a reflection of members' engagement, uh, period. Uh, the WTO Secretariat doesn't put proposals on the table. Members do. Uh, and members, in turn, are responsive to domestic interests. And if domestic interests are interested in something moving forward, uh, then they try to get their member to be more energetic in uh, moving things forward. Uh, Fishery, if fishery subsidies, if that were an easy subject, it would have been solved 18 years or 20 years ago. It isn't easy, apparently. It's technical, it's complicated, and uh, they're varied interests. Uh, coming from the outside, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, an NGO can be affected by moving a government. I mean, the U.S. is interested, for example, in uh, a conclusion uh, and has put proposals on the table, as have others, um, and uh, uh, there needs to be a domestic constituency in enough countries to make those countries active to say, let's get this done. Uh, should illegal fishing be subsidized? No, there's some technical problems, but that sort of notion is a uh, difficult one to swallow. Um, you know, can be, there be technical assistance to help countries? Uh, you know, the smallest countries in the South Pacific, as I uh, indicated, I didn't indicate who they were, but there are countries that give licenses that can't police whether the licenses are lived up to or exceeded. So uh, there, are, there are some real issues in implementation in a number of these countries, uh, but that is, a, it, it is ultimately a solvable problem. Uh, it's 
a different kind of problem than the WTO has had in the past. And domestic subsidies is the most difficult issue. Uh, we don't have uh, rules that are worth very much in, uh, they're very limited. Uh, in, uh, they're worth a lot, but they are limited in terms of uh, domestic subsidies of uh, agriculture or industry. And fish is, falls into that category. It's not export subsidies, it's domestic subsidies. And one is getting uh, deeply into the political structure of countries and uh, have to come to a, a solution. But that comes from really uh, external pressure on governments to say, we've got to solve this one. And it can be solved, of course it can. Uh, but uh, it hasn't been easy, and it still isn't easy. Uh, will there be a chair? I think uh, uh, there has to be some pressure to uh, say, let's come to an agreement on who the chair should be. And other issues played into that other than it wasn't uh, apparently motivated. The delays in appointing a chair was no, were not, as far as I know, motivated by let's uh, stop the fisheries talks. It, they were extraneous issues that came into play at an awkward moment. Well, we could go on, I'm sure, but as I said, Alan has another engagement, so uh, please thank him for a very enlightening presentation. Thank you.